delighted, Linda and I are delighted to be here with you. Uh, it's a special blessing. I love your pastor. Uh, he's a special man. Uh, and I love the church. I'm so pleased that my sister has found this church. Uh, and thank you for inviting me. I'm honored to be able to come back and speak to you again. And uh, just wanted to let you know that if you like what you've heard this morning and you want to hear it again or you want to listen to this sermon, it will be on my website uh, probably by late Tuesday afternoon. You can listen to it at GarippaFoundation.org. Um, and uh, also, Pastor mentioned that we're on a number of radio stations. We're on uh, every Sunday at, at 6.30. Uh, 6.30, Linda? Or 6? 6. 6 p.m., I forget now. Uh, 6 p.m., you can get it at csnradio.com. The nearest station in Pennsylvania is in Harrisburg, and I won't, won't reach here. But you can get it on your uh, computer, CSN. Radio.com, you can listen to it live. I hope you do. All right, we're going to talk about a subject today that I think is so critical to Christians, and so many of us have failed to fully understand what it means and how significant it is. Uh, our brother alluded to it this morning when he read those verses, which touched my heart. It's a confirmation. Those verses are a confirmation because I will speak about some of those verses. And we're going to talk about understanding eternal security. What does it mean? What did Jesus say it was? Uh, and how critical it is for us to communicate this to a world that is lost. When you accept Jesus Christ, when you are saved, what does it mean? What comes together uh, for us? Uh, so that we need to understand that. What are the consequences of accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the verses that I'm going to focus on, first of all, are in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 35. And it's so significant when we hear Jesus speak about this. Verse 35, John 6, 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And then look at verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. And so these verses carry us deep into the heart and mind of God. They fix in our minds what grace is about, the sovereignty of God in all things. And so we understand that salvation is free. It is a free gift. Jesus was speaking here to the Jewish elite who are challenging him, even after he has just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and seven fishes. And they're challenging him uh, not accepting really yet who he is. And Jesus demonstrates to them that you've seen me, yet you refuse to accept who I am. And that's what, what it is with the world. The world does not accept the divinity of Jesus Christ. We spoke about this morning in, in Sunday school. 
that yes, the world will say Jesus was a good man. Yes, he was a prophet. Yes, he did a lot of good things. But ultimately, they will not accept the divinity of Jesus Christ. And what you see here is that when you accept the divinity of Jesus Christ, when you say to him, Lord, I accept you. Lord, take over my life. Lord, forgive me of my sins. In that moment, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And God says you are sealed forever. Jesus has told us that no one will take us out of his hand. What does that mean? It means that your works didn't get you into salvation and your works will not take you out of the hands of God. This is a message that we have to understand because the only way, the only way that you can live a victorious Christian life is to understand this. And so the first thing that you need to understand is that all mankind is lost. All of us, until we accept Jesus Christ, are dead men walking, dead men and women walking. What does that mean? It means that from the foundation of the world, God knew that this world would give in to sin. He knew that we would give itself over to sin. And so God knew at the very foundation that this world would need a savior. And Jesus became that savior. And so you understand this, that until we recognize that we're depraved, that we're lost, that we cannot help ourselves, that we reach up from the muck and mire of our sinful life and extend our hand to God, that God pours the grace into us, the very grace that gives us the faith to accept him and seals us with the Holy Spirit, seals us with the Holy Spirit and indicates that nothing, no one, no event will ever take you out of the hand of God or the hand of Jesus Christ. Now, all of this, all of which I've just wrapped up to you is subsumed in the very first beatitude. And turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 5. And this is very much misunderstood. And that's why I'm going to take the time to tie it up together for you. Matthew 5, the very first beatitude, Jesus revolutionizing Religion, revolutionizing the Jewish people, telling them that they are no longer bound by the legalities of the Old Testament. But now grace has come into this world. Grace to save them, not animal sacrifices, but the grace of God. Once and for all, God himself sacrificed on a cross. And here we look at Matthew chapter five, verse three, the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, why is the first beatitude blessing the poor in spirit? Because you cannot do anything until you recognize that you are broken in spirit. When mankind looks at himself finally, introspectively, and sees the brokenness, the emptiness, the, uh, the, the veritable evil within our hearts... It is that brokenness and the looking of within ourselves, the introspection, that we then reach out to God. And, and this verse has indicated that that is a blessed event. Being poor in spirit is a blessed event. This verse is not blessing financially poor people. Of course we think about financially poor people, and I know God cares about them. But so many people say, well, it's God is blessing the poor people. God blesses all people. But this has nothing to do about economic reality. This is about poor in spirit. This is about recognizing that you're broken. And when you are broken and you reach up to God, it is that very element of you reaching up 
that God reaches back across eternity and gives you the very faith to accept him and to become one with him. And how, as that, at that very moment, when that happens, the very kingdom of God is given to you. That's why he says in that verse, you shall inherit the kingdom of God. You understand it now. How else can the kingdom of God be inherited? Only one way. By being broken in spirit and accepting Jesus Christ. That's why that verse is so important. And so until we begin to understand the absolute nature of ourselves. All right. Somebody once said to me, and I couldn't believe I heard it. Someone who purported to be a Christian said to me, I am a righteous man. Oh my gosh, Lord Jesus. Nobody who's a Christian should ever say I am a righteous man. You are righteous because God saved you through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is only when God looks at you through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ that he sees you as righteous. Never forget that. Understand that every day of your life that you walk as a Christian, you are saved because of Jesus. It's not your personality. It's not your, your background. It's not that you studied theology. It's not because your grandparents went to church. None of that matters. It's because he was you saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and God sees you as righteous through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's important for us to understand that. And God knew this through his foreknowledge from the very foundation of the world that the world would need a savior. Now you say to me, how can that be? How can that be? It is because God knew that the creation would fall. He knew that man would be succumbed to sin. He knew it, and yet he created it. And yet, here's the point. It's not that God predestines who will be saved and who will be lost. It is at that moment that God holds your molecular structure in his hands, and he looks at you through his foreknowledge. He knows the decision you will make about him. He knows those of you who will embrace him, who will reach out for him. And he knows at the same time those who will shake their fist at him and will not want any part of him. And that's the foreknowledge that God knows about that ultimately leads us to, uh, to salvation. And so this is, this is an important thing to understand. And so all of this, all of this aspect, all of what, what it amounts to eternal security and being in the hand of Jesus so that no one, nothing, no event, Nothing whatsoever will ever take you out of his hand. All of it takes place because God has given you the faith to reach up and grace to accept him as your Lord and Savior. And so here's the difference. Here's the point. It doesn't matter how much of a sinner you are. Let me repeat that. It doesn't matter how much of a sinner you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. When you finally come to terms with yourself, that you are lost, and you reach out to God, God instantaneously gives you back life forever. And you accept Jesus Christ, and he seals you with the Holy Spirit. And that's a critical event, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. It means that there is now a part of God in your heart. The, you are now able to communicate to God. You are able to speak to him and talk to him, and he with you. And here's how it works. When you're hearing somebody like your pastor or me preach to you about these words, there should be a part of your heart from the Holy Spirit that says, Amen. Amen. He's right. He's right. I understand it. 
What it is, is the Holy Spirit confirming in your heart about what we're, we're talking about. And so verse 37 and verse 39 in this passage speaks of God's power to keep those who come to him eternally. Let me emphasize that. God's power to keep those who come to him eternally. No one, no one, underline it, no one who comes to Christ will ever be driven away. Now or later, it will not happen. Jesus has made it perfectly clear. It will not happen. You didn't work yourself to get saved. And so you're not going to work yourself out of salvation because you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is telling us that he will lose none of those who come to him. And so what are we speaking about here? Who are those? Who are those who will never be lost? Who are those that are coming to them? Uh, you, there will be people who will resist it. There will be people who will say, I don't want the free gift. I don't believe it. I don't want to accept it. And, and the point is, God doesn't pronounce the judgment on them. They're already judged. Here's the point in this world. The world is lost. It's lost. People are dead men and women walking. It's only because God gives the lifesaver that they're saved. And so I laugh when I hear people say, well, how could God send anyone to hell? God sends no one to hell. We go there despite all the efforts of God. God bankrupted heaven to send Jesus, and yet the world refuses to accept them. And so look at, look at how incredible this is. And what is this promise? Here is what it means. It means that when you come to Jesus Christ as a young person, when you accept Jesus Christ, he has given and promises you a most beautiful life. He will be with you forever. No matter what takes place in your life, God will be there. He will support you. He will give you grace. He will give you strength. And what if you come to God as an older person? What does that mean? It means that God will be with you even through the great difficulties of old age and sickness and suffering and be with you as you're called home. He'll send the very angels to come and take you and embrace you in his arms. That's the promise of God. And so some might say right now, well, but suppose I get to the point. Suppose I get to the point where I deny Jesus. Yes, I was saved, but suppose I get to the point where I deny Jesus. Well, let me give you an example of a guy that that occurred to. You ever heard of Peter? How about Peter? Pretty important biblical character. Possibly the most significant disciple. Peter. And look at what Peter did at the point when Jesus was arrested and facing crucifixion. When all the disciples dispersed. Didn't want to be known as being with Jesus. All of them took off. And so there's Peter standing outside the palace where Jesus is imprisoned. And, so, and someone says to him, hey, I know you. You're with Jesus. You're one of them disciples. I like to say you're one of them holy rollers. Okay. Oh, no, 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 not me. I don't know him. I have no idea what you're talking about. Number one. A few minutes later, it happens again. Again, no, 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 you're absolutely wrong. It's not me. You're mixing me up with somebody else. I've never met him. Number two. And finally, it comes again. And now what does he do? Now he curses and blasphemes with oaths. I couldn't possibly be with him. Look at me. Look at how I talk. I'm not one of them. 
denying Jesus three times at the most critical time in the life of God when he needed the support of his disciples and yet he disappeared. And what happened? Did Jesus throw Peter away? No! No, Peter still stayed saved because you can't work yourself out of the hand of God. When you are sealed, yes, you may fall. Yes, you may trip up. Yes, you may make mistakes. Yes, you may drift away. It'll all happen because you're wearing this flesh. And while we're here in this world and we have this flesh, we will fall. Make no mistake about it. If you think that when you became a Christian, that means that from then on you're holy. Well, let me tell you something. Then you're not reading the same Bible I'm reading. You're not holy. You're still walking around with the old man of flesh on you. It is only because of the grace of God and the Holy Spirit within your heart that your conscience is going to be pricked, that your heart is going to be pricked, and you will not be able to continue to stay in an ongoing pattern of sin. Let me repeat what I just said. I didn't say you won't sin. I didn't say you won't fall. But what I said was you will not be able to continue in an ongoing pattern of sin. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is within your heart when you are saved. And it is that Holy Spirit that years before you could talk or speak or go and be oblivious to anything. But now, words come out of your mouth, and you know what I'm talking about. Thoughts come out of your mouth, and what happens? Oh, Lord, please, God, forgive me. Oh, Oh, I can't believe I said that. Oh, Lord, I can't believe I thought that. How could I do that? How could I say that? How could I live like that? Father, forgive me. It may not happen the same hour. It may not happen the same day. But I assure you, when you are saved, it will happen. It will happen in a very powerful way. Turn to John chapter 10. The thing about Jesus is that Jesus didn't just say something once. He said it over and over again. Here's John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Please underline that in your Bible. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Underline it. I and the Father are one. Ladies and gentlemen, do you want proof? Do you want proof? Is there any better proof than the words of Jesus Christ as to what salvation is about? Than when God has accepted you and poured the Holy Spirit into your life, when you've reached out to him and said, Father, I forgive me. Lord, deliver me. I'll become your disciple. Help me, God. And at that moment, God pours his grace into your life that nothing, no one, no event, no catastrophe can take you out of the hand of Jesus. And Jesus says not only out of his hand, but out of God the Father's hand. Because why? Because Jesus and God the Father are one. It's incredible, isn't it? It's incredible. Now let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Some of those verses that we heard our brother speak about this morning that are some of the greatest verses in the Bible. 
And so so poignant and, and, and powerful. Romans 8, first of all, beginning with verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who is going to separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He has just outlined all of the possibilities that you would have seen during that time of history. All the things that would separate people from one another. Look at, look at that list. Uh, it's, it's so incredibly resonating. Hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. None of it, nothing, no one, no power is going to be able to separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Then looking further in verse 37. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Look at how poignant that verse is. You are more than a conqueror because you have been saved by Jesus Christ. What does that mean? He's talking about this time looking at conquerors, emperors who would come in and subjugate entire countries. And yet he's saying that once we are saved by the love of Jesus Christ through the grace of God, that we now are more than conquerors ourselves. Think about it. Not you, not because of your personality, not because of your works or your philosophy uh, or your charity. No, because you've asked for the free gift of salvation. The power of God within you makes you more than a conqueror. What a powerful verse that is. Um, for I am convinced, and understand the man who wrote this, this is a man who was a Pharisee of Pharisees. This is a man who persecuted hundreds of Christians. This is a man who was directly involved in putting Stephen to death, that great saint, putting Stephen to death, and yet God loved him. You want, you want to know whether you can be a big enough sinner and still be accepted by Jesus Christ? What do you think? Do you think Paul fell into that category? How many people do you think he was involved in terminating their lives? Look at the fact that he went from Jerusalem to Damascus, well over 100 miles, uh, over horrible roads in the middle of a desert. For what purpose? To imprison and persecute Christians. What do you think it was like for him? And yet he knew that God loved him and God saved him. And he could say these words, understanding that God had forgiven him. So think about that. When you think about your own life, and some of us, reflect too often about our past and not on our present. God saved you from the past. God's forgiven you from the past. I have to say this to a lot of Christians. God's forgiven you. Now forgive yourself. You want to have a victorious Christian life? This is what you have to understand, that you are saved and saved forever, and no one, no power is going to extricate you from the hand of God. Nothing. And it's important for us to understand this. And then he goes on and says, Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, and this is the man who would write two-thirds of the New Testament. Two-thirds of the New Testament. A man who secular historians would say even today is probably one of the most five most important people uh, in Western civilization history. And he says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You want to wonder what it is when you're saved? There it is. I can't give it to you any more than that. There it is. You are sealed forever in the hand of God, held on by the hand of Jesus. And so Paul is listing here various events that would possibly cause separation, what people would say. Well, the first cause of separation is sin. Oh, what if I sin? What if I do something terrible? An honest Christian knows he is justified by God. You're not justified by your own works. Your works look like filthy rags to God. Don't lift yourself up by saying, oh, yes, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I'm a righteous person. No, you are a righteous person because you've accepted Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ is poured over you. And God sees you through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ. That's why you're righteous. That's why you're righteous. And that's why he's going to keep you in his hand. And so, yes, you're going to fall. Yes, you're going to commit sins. But here's the thing. You have the Holy Spirit within you. God seals you with the Holy Spirit. And when you fall, your conscience is going to be pricked. Oh, Lord, I shouldn't have done that. And here's the thing. When you have that Holy Spirit within you, you are constrained to have an ongoing dialogue with God. Here's the thing where a lot of us as Christians fall down. I hear people say, well, yeah, maybe I'll pray at night before I go to bed. Let me tell you something. You want to have a vibrant Christian life. You need to have a conversation with God a hundred times a day. That's one of the things that I say to the men that I, I mentor. You need to have an ongoing conversation with God a hundred times a day. While you're walking, while you're driving your car, even now in church, as I'm preaching to you, you need to be asking God, Lord, confirm this in my heart. Lord, help me to accept this. Lord, help me to grow. That's what happens. And it's that Holy Spirit within you that's reaching out to him and he then corresponds back to you and communicates with you. And that is why, yes, you will sin, but yet your conscience will be pricked. You'll be pricked. And maybe it'll take a day. Maybe it'll take a week. Maybe it'll take a month. Maybe it'll take several years. But eventually, eventually, your conscience will say to you, I need to get it right. That's how God works. That's what it's about. And so... We understand that a Christian has been acquitted in the, before the highest court in the universe. God himself has acquitted us of what we've done before. And that's why we are sealed forever. Yes, then, then Paul speaks about physical suffering. Yes, you're going to suffer. Yes, you're going to be ill. Yes, bad things are going to happen to you. Yes, your finances are going to suffer. Look, I laugh when I hear people talk about you become a Christian. You know, it's all prosperity. I'm very careful about listening to preachers that preach prosperity all the time. And I know our ears are attracted to that. We like that. You know, we like to think, yes, I'm going to be a Christian and it's going to be nothing but riches and rewards. I'm going to have a big house. I'm going to have a big car. I'm going to be able to have a fancy lifestyle. The answer is this. How did it go for the first 11 guys? All right, you tell me. How did it work for the first 11 guys? Where was the prosperity message? Well, the prosperity message is they're right now at the right hand of God in heaven. That's the prosperity message. 
And so it's not about you prospering in this world. God will give you what you need, not what you want. It's a big difference. Oh, yeah. God, I really would like that, that, that big boat. If I had that boat, God, I know I would be a better Christian. That's right. <laughs> yes, you will God, give you a nice 50-foot boat, and we won't see you in church for about 15 years. <laughs> you see, God knows. God knows who to give what to and who to hold back because he's concerned about your eternal life. He's concerned about the kind of Christian you are, how you are effectuating this world. What kind of messenger are you going to be? He knows that. That's why your prayer should be, God, you give me what I need. Lord, I submit to you. Close the doors of my life that need to be closed. Open the doors that need to be opened. I want to, I want to be within your will. And so there you see it. You see the whole point of understanding even physical suffering. Yes, each and every one of us here, I'm going to give you a big deal right now, eventually will die. Hard to believe. But not one of us in this room is going to escape death. And most likely, we're going to suffer some. We're going to suffer some. Does that mean that God has abandoned us? Of course not. He loves us. But it's part of the passage from this world to the next. That in some way, we share the cup of what Christ suffered. Or you get all the benefits. We have to share some of the, of, the, of the cup. And so here he is. He talks about physical suffering. And then he, he talked about tribulation and famine and nakedness. And, and, and he talks also about the anguish of the soul, the internal suffering, what that's like, meaning that, that the powers, the powers of the world, evil, the demon powers. Listen, folks, we live in an evil world. This world is evil. This world is now under the domination of Satan. Fell at the Garden of Eden. And so there are hundreds of millions of demons in this world who would like nothing better than to destroy you. But you see, you're saved. You have a mark on your back. It's a cross, and the demons know it. That doesn't mean they're not going to attack you. Yes, they're going to attack you because they don't want you to lead a successful, vibrant Christian life. And one of the ways that he does that is by convincing people that they can lose their salvation. Oh, oh, I'm going to get up today. And oh, oh, I, I, oh, if I fall and do this, oh, God, I'm lost forever. I'm lost forever. Instead of saying, God, you're with me. I'm going to step out for you. I'm going to step up for Jesus. I'm going to go and try to make this world a better place. I'm going to introduce Jesus Christ to a lost world. And yes, I'll fall, God, but you'll pick me up. Yes, I'll commit a sin, but you'll forgive me. Because you love me. I know my, fa my flesh fails, but you will not separate me. And so you understand this inherent struggle in this world. That's what this world is about. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus made a public spectacle of the forces of evil on the cross. He made a public spectacle of it. And now you are inheriting that because you are saved. Everything that Jesus has done now comes to you. Because of this. And so it's important for you as a Christian to understand everything that salvation means. What it means to be a Christian. And so when you say to a person that's lost, you need to have Jesus Christ. It's not, that, it's not just that you'll have eternal life. It's not that you'll be with Christ forever. It means here, even in this world, as we live 
your life will be far greater and better than anything the world would ever know. Because you will have the assurance that He is with you and will protect you and abide with you in all things. And so we need to understand that. And so there are some principles and truths that have to come together now as I wrap this subject up so that we fully understand what it's about. First, Jesus will not lose anyone that comes to him. Let's get that straightened out. You leave here today, make sure you remember that. He will not lose anyone that comes to him. Second, Jesus will bring all of his sheep into the fold. All of them. Whoever the Father brings to them, Jesus will bring them all into the fold. Nothing, no one, no power will take the sheep away from Jesus Christ. And the believers, at the moment that they introspectively look at themselves and admit that they're lost, admit that they need a Savior, that instantaneously the believers receive the Holy Spirit and He is in them forever. Please, don't misconstrue this. If you remember anything that I've said today, I hope this resonates with you. When you've accepted Jesus Christ, truly accept Him, meaning, Lord, forgive me. I have a broken heart. I believe in you, Lord, and I confess it in my lips. That's what it is. That's what salvation is all about. At that moment, God seals you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that spirit, that spirit ultimately is a pledge. It is a deposit. It is a guarantee that God owns you. It is a guarantee that God will be with you. It is a guarantee that no one will take you away. It's because of the Holy Spirit. And that came to you not because you were good, not because of your works. It came because you were lost and said you needed a Savior. And so God has sealed you and stamped you forever as a pledge, as a deposit, that one day you will be with him and he will be with you. And so God has implanted a seed within you. That seed is the seed of God. It is the Holy Spirit. It is why you can't live the same way as you lived before. Oh, maybe for a while. Maybe for a while you'll be a little wayward. You'll go off the tracks. But ultimately, when the deposit of God is within your heart, you have to come back. You have to come back. Because your conscience is seared. Because the blood of Jesus is all over you. And so believers then have the insurance that they are in God because God has given them the Holy Spirit. That's what this is all about. Understanding eternal security. Understanding that you can't lose it. Understanding that when you are saved, all of this instantaneously comes together at one moment in time. Sealing. Pledging you. Stamping you. And God and Jesus both saying that you will never, never, no one, no power can ever take you out of the hand of God. And so, folks, here's the last point I want to make with you. No one but Jesus buckles you in. You got that? No one but Jesus buckles you in. You didn't buckle yourself in. You didn't go and take seminary courses or read theology books. And it's that theology uh, knowledge that's buckling you in. None of it. You are buckled in because Jesus died on the cross for you. And you accepted him. You may slip. Yes, you may. And you will. But you will not fail. Don't believe in yourself. Let me repeat that. Don't. 
believe in yourself. And do not believe in others. You can't save yourself. And others can't save you. It is only Jesus Christ who is with you and will abide with you forever. And will never let you go. Don't let another day in your life go by without making certain that this is done. If there's anybody here today that's on the fence, that has questions, isn't sure that they've really made a commitment to God, don't leave this room, don't leave this church without answering this. Do not do this. I, I spoke, I said this morning, I spoke at a at Florida Gulf Coast University uh, about Christianity, and one of the young people asked me at, during the, the discourse, well, you know, you Christians, you want us to make these decisions now while we're young. Why should we do this when we're young? You know, we got a lot of wild oats to sow. I want to see the world. I want to have fun. I want to go out there and do a lot of things. Maybe when I'm an old man, uh, I'll, I'll come to terms with this. And I said to this young man, I said, like, maybe like what? Like on your deathbed in the 80s, 90s, 100? Yeah, he said. Yeah, that's it. I said, right. And how come every day I open the newspaper and I see some young kid dying or being killed in a traffic accident? Not a day goes by when I don't see that. What about that person waiting until they were older? And how about this? You think you can live a life of denial? Oh, I'm not ready for you, Jesus. I don't need you, Jesus, now. I'm only 50. I'm only 60. I don't need you yet. I've taken care of my own things. I'm only 70. And you've hardened your heart. Now when you're 90 and on your deathbed, all of a sudden your whole eyesight changes, your heart warms up. Let me tell you something. Satan doesn't let that happen. He doesn't let that happen. You can't live that kind of life and think that you'll get by and then suddenly you'll hit the switch and there it is. I'm saved. doesn't work like that. The Bible is full of stories of people that thought they could do that and their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened and they couldn't make that decision. So you've got to make that decision today. If you're here in this church and God is speaking to your heart, don't leave here without bringing this to a conclusion. You can speak to Roland and he'll pray with you and explain this to you. Or you can speak to me and I will do this. I will do this. I'll pray for you. We can take care of this today. Not another day should go by that you haven't addressed this issue. And that you can understand so that you can get up in the morning every day. Not fearful. Not waiting for the next calamity to come in your life. But be, to be victorious. To get up in the morning and say, Lord Jesus, what do you have for me today? And Father, if you call me home today, I'm prepared to go. Because I know I'm going to be with you. Can you say that? Do you have that assurance that if Jesus called you home today, that you would be with him one breath here in earth, the next breath in heaven? That's what it's supposed to be like. That's what God wants you to have. That's the kind of victorious life we need. That's what separates us from the world. That's why salvation is so important. And so I ask, I truthfully ask you to examine yourself and come to terms with this. Don't leave this church without coming to terms with this, understanding truly how great God is and what he has given us with eternal security. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Father, for this church. I thank you for the dedication of its pastor, Father. I ask you to bless him in every way. Bless these dear people who love you, Lord, and come together to worship you, Father. Thank you for the grace and privilege to come here and be a part of this, of this service today. Lord, I ask you that this message resonate 
in the hearts of our people, that it grows and that is as bad as I may be in delivering it, Father, that you will rectify it and make it be the message that they need to be heard, the message from you, Father. Not a message from a man, but a message from God delivered through the Holy Spirit. Touch the hearts of our people. Allow them, Lord, to go out into a lost world and to give this message to others as this desperate world needs to be changed. Father, we put all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.